Well, I don't know about you, but it feels to me like spring is basically here. And everything feels so different from last year's spring. <laughs> everything seems to be opening back up. Flowers are blooming. Attitudes are changing. Uh, people are getting vaccinated. And it is looking like everything, yet again, is about to change. We were not prepared for the first set of changes that happened last year. I can safely say that. But are we prepared for the changes that are about to happen? This is the topic of conversation that I have with my very profound and insightful and wise friend, Devin Rowland, who is a photographer and many other things, as you'll learn, living in Baltimore, Maryland. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. This is Zia Hassan, and you are listening to Gently Down the Stream, a personal development podcast. If you want to transform your life, be a more engaged parent, a more present spouse, if you are stuck in your career or in any part of your life, this show will teach you powerful ideas, habits, and skills so that you can focus on what's most important to you. Devin, thank you for being here today. Uh, how are you doing? How's life? <laughs> um, life is all right. Uh, I have been busier today than I've been in a little while, which is sort of a strange feeling to try and fit back into. Um, but I did stop and for lunch I made waffles and then I heated up chicken nuggets in the microwave to put on top uh, to fake chicken and waffles. And it was kind of amazing. Mm. I follow your food journeys on, <laughs> on social media. And for those of you who don't know, and I, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, what you do in the world, you know, just, just give us a sense of, of who Devin is, because um, I imagine some people listening to this will be longtime fans and some people will be new fans. Um, everybody will be a fan, though. <laughs> That's my take. <laughs> um, but I followed your, uh, Devin is a uh, prolific social media uh, poster. And I am one of those people that like, I, I always really enjoy when I follow somebody who posts interesting things, or at least interesting to me. I always get tired of like the endless like, here's my friend's birthday, and I and I don't know the person, so it's always nice to read uh, Devin's posts and um, your posts. I'll just talk directly to you rather than the audience here, um, and follow your food journeys and and all of your your amazing outfits. But but tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you do in the world. Thanks. Um, I. I just want to clarify the food posts. I eat like a fifth grader most of the time. I am making like mac and cheese. I am making chicken nuggets. I am not your great British Bake Off person or the one who has like the sourdough starter that's been going for a year. That is absolutely <laughs> um, Do you know a anyone that still has a sourdough starter? <laughs> I think that died in like a month or two. <laughs> I think I know like two or three people who got really invested oh, okay. in the bread making and just kept going with it. Um, but yeah, so professional chef is not me. Uh, I have been a photographer for a decade um, and social media user since I got my first AOL Instant Messenger account in 1997. Um, so it's the uh, the social communication and kind of talking to people on the internet and having a personality online is something that's just kind of been baked in since it's been pretty formative for me for my whole life, um, which became convenient when I was trying to market a business and grow my own a photography company through social media largely. Um, and then last year at the beginning of the pandemic, as everyone was kind of sitting around going, what am I doing now? Um, I was also sitting around going, what am I doing now? Uh, I had just come back from a several hundred person event in Canada at the beginning of March. 
and got back. I was like, oh, so this pandemic thing, I should probably sit down for like a week or two and not see anyone because I just spent a very long time crossing borders with people. And yeah. Um, yep. So did that. And then saw a post from a friend of mine from Boston a decade ago, uh, looking for people to get involved with his, um, open source ventilator project. And just like he had his Facebook group, he was trying to get people together to talk about ideas. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't design a ventilator. I'm not an engineer. I barely know what a ventilator is, um, but I can help you moderate the Facebook group. I can help kind of organize chaos. I've been a wedding photographer for a decade. That is what that job is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. And that turned into uh, forming an international nonprofit with 75,000 members. Wow. Um, so that's what I did in 2020. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for your service because that's that's an amazing feat to be able to, to do. Op- like the idea of an open source ventilator at the time back in March of 2020, we were like, everybody, it seemed that had severe disease was going on ventilators. And then I think over time, they learned that there were different things they could do to sort of mitigate and and prevent from having to get that far. But how do you, I mean, how do you even design, like, like is, is it the open source part, the, the, the design of the ventilator? Is it the construction and the production? Or is that, is it all, all open source? How does, how does it work? Yeah, um, it's all kind of baked in. Um, So uh, Open Source Medical Supplies is the organization that I was part of. And it started with the idea of ventilators and quickly turned into sort of all PPE needs because the discussion was ventilators are great. You won't have doctors and nurses to run them if you don't have PPE. And we were running out at pretty astounding rates. Um, And so it switched quickly from ventilators to masks, face shields, there were a couple of places that were able to produce gowns. And so just finding out what uh, individuals could do. Uh, makerspaces were a big, big piece of this. Of There's a makerspace in Boston that was turning out thousands of medical gowns a day and providing them to a hospital there. And like it, in the grand scheme of the country, right? A couple thousand a day is nothing. Right. Um, but it's still more than they had. It's more than the, you know, trash bags that people were going into hospitals in. Um, right. And so just different people being able to come up with open source ideas, which means like, hey, you can use this. Um, take this, use this, please. Let's figure out how to do the gowns. Let's figure out how to do like medical caps and um, foot covers. And there's design libraries full of all this. So yeah, the open source community is really kind of what came together with that. That is really fascinating. And I feel like, so ha- so just to you know, walk me through this, you know, you're also getting used to pandemic life at this moment you you've been taking photos for you said a decade um what happened i mean did you did i i imagine that photography was a little bit tougher at first and now you're suddenly in this this new organization i mean how did that feel to be in the middle of this i mean did did did, was there was it was it chaotic was it or was it organized like how how did it feel i don't know what i'm getting at here but um (laughs) Uh, chaos is definitely the word. Um, I think my first, the first 10 days I was involved with the organization were 14 hours or more every day. Um, and it was just kind of constant going and going and going. And it was great because a lot of people I was working with had done sort of the burnout cycles before. And so everyone's like, Hey, it's cool. You're doing this. Like maybe, maybe take a minute or whatever. And it's just, you know, no one felt like we had time. We feel like you're doing something. And there's certainly a, um, sort of individual aspect of that, of feeling like we needed to do something in order to fight this thing that no one knew how to manage. Um, and so 
it was kind of that 10 days of, you know, absolute, utter, unhealthy, terrible schedule. Um, and then kind of took a day off and just disconnected and then kind of came back a little bit more focused. Um, and, and were you taking, were you doing anything photography during this time, editing or anything? At that point, not much. Um, I had finished, this was March 16th, I think was when I officially started with them. Um, and I had finished everything from my event in Canada and I didn't have anything left over. Um, I did have one wedding that was March 21st, I believe, something like that. Um, so I guess I did take a day in there. Maybe it was a little bit later. Time at that point is a little fuzzy for all of us, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so early on, I wasn't. And then I did have a couple of weddings that were rescheduling, a couple of weddings that were turning into sort of three people in a backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one wedding in July that was actually a, a Jewish wedding, and they set up the chuppah in the parking lot. And all of the attendees came in their cars and they did a radio broadcast to the cars of the ceremony. Yeah. Did you get some photos of like people in their cars listening? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they did have it where you could also be, uh, you had to be with your car might've been the phrasing. Um, so one of the grooms, his sister got an inflatable unicorn and tied it to the top of the car and then sat (laughs) in that to watch the ceremony. Um, And I feel like that whole wedding just really kind of is a solid example of so much of last year. Like, Mm -hmm. this is not what we want to be doing. This is not the way that anyone dreams to do their wedding. Um, This is a a terrible situation to have to be in, but figuring out how to work with it and how to still have joy and how to still have some bit of a life with it. Um, That was... Sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say, I think that that's been one of the most impressive and inspiring parts of the last year. Yeah, I totally agree. Seeing how seeing how communities reacted to this new life and those who are a little bit more, I don't know, some people slipped into this life really easily. When I say some people, I could definitely see me in that because I'm an introvert and like I miss people, don't get me wrong, like I'm very social and I and I really missed social outings but it wasn't quite as painful for me as other people in my life who like get their energy from other people so to come together and and that that story of the wedding is just so characteristic of like just people like like just making it work making the best i remember the first like drive-through birthday that i did remember i don't know if like that happens anymore people still do i guess these days you know people are getting vaccinated but but there there was a time back in like April and May where it was like just like people would stand on their driveway and these cars would go by. And it was like, wow, you know what? This is not like, you know, the most amazing birthday party ever, but it is a memorable one. It is one we're going to remember. Um, we were talking, though, at one point, I remember about um, the, the volunteer stuff and like getting burned out on on doing that. Um, I had been hunting for vaccines for people. And uh, I remember at one point you messaged me and said, you know, it's okay if you if you need to like slow down a little bit, you can. <laughs> it's okay to give yourself a little bit of a break. And like I needed that because I was going nuts trying to book these vaccines for people and feeling terrible. Like if I couldn't do it, if if, if I had taken too long or it wasn't working out, um, and it made me think of this um, in Islamic funerals. The uh, everybody carries the coffin of the body. This is kind of like morbid already, but they carry the coffin to the burial site and everybody trades off. Like, so, you know, six people might be carrying the coffin and then one person will sort of get tired and back off and then someone else will take their place. And I suddenly realized like, if I, you know, take a break, if I stop and I, and, but at this point I really stopped because the, the vaccines have become pretty widely available. 
it kind of reminded me of that that shifting of like it's okay because someone else is going to carry that coffin and the coffin is only so big such a morbid example but you get it <laughs> yeah no but i think a, i think it's really like you said a good example of sort of that community just taking the weight for each other mm-hmm. and lifting yeah yeah and it's it's interesting getting so much of a feeling of value, a feeling of success, a feeling of accomplishment through being able to match up PPE, being able to get people vaccines, being able to kind of make these connections. And then it does almost become that need of like, oh, but I've got to do this. And I'm realizing, oh, wait, there are hundreds more people doing this. There are thousands more people doing this. And if I am still you know, able to function in a month, it is better than if I can run at full steam for the next 24 hours and then, you know, fall apart. Yeah. Um, we, we are very, like, I feel like we're very, um, we, as, as a, as, uh, as people, uh, some, sometimes, at least for me, it feels like I don't know that I'm overloaded until I'm overloaded. And so these days I've been trying to do this thing where I'm like, if I feel like I'm even getting to the point where I might be three fourths at my capacity, I'll be like, okay, nothing more because, when you're when it's too late it's too late you know absolutely and just the amount of time it takes to come back from that um can be a challenge and so i'm 34 now so i don't know if it's also an age thing but so i was with osms from march through december last year and when i left in december i was like okay i'm gonna contact these other organizations i want to be involved with and like volunteer at this place and try to do all these different things because i really want to stay involved in this and everyone's like hey like have you taken a break yet um, most notably a friend of mine who's been doing international aid work for, um, I think his entire career at this point. Um, as so he was like, Hey, have you, have you had a real break yet? And I was like, no, like I'm going to take a week. It'll be fine. <laughs> and so then sort of the middle of December, I was like, Oh yeah, no, I am completely burned out. Uh, it has been a very intense year, um, with a lot of changes and a lot of things I just haven't processed either. Cause I haven't had time or haven't had the ability Um, So I was like, okay, I'm gonna take like the rest of December and that sort of bled into January. And then the start of February, I was like, okay, I'm getting this together again. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not getting this together again as much as I thought. Um, And so oh, you you tried you were going to jump back into it in February. I was gonna jump back into it in December. And then I was kind of like, okay, February. I was like, okay, slowly like finding different gigs and like smaller things that I could do that be like, okay, I'm gonna do this for a week. And then that'll be some money. And then I'll have like a little bit more break. And um yeah, but so it's just hard. Like once you once you get to that burnout stage, uh, the amount it takes to come back from it is really difficult. Um, yeah, and so yeah, like you're saying, kind of keeping attention, being like, okay, if I stay at like three quarters, so then I can maybe keep going. Yep. Um, because being, I mean, being being burnt out, then you end up being less effective at almost everything. I don't mean you, but you yeah. collective you like more <laughs> less effective at everything. Like I become, you know not as good of a father and not as good of a uh, husband if I don't, you know, <laughs> or, or, or like a consultant or whatever it is that I do coaching everything. Like if I don't, if I'm more than, I would say three fourths capacity is actually a pretty good measure. If I'm more than that, it starts to get a little bit dicey. Um, what, what have you done? Uh, if I may ask in terms of like recovering or healing or kind of, I don't know, uh, anything tranquil that you've done to sort of like, I don't know, numb the effects of this terrible, well, not terrible. I say, I'll say unusual and unexpected time in our lives. Yeah. Um, I started listening to Tom Waits, which is maybe not Mm. the most uplifting version to go with. Um, (laughs) and, uh, did get into some cooking partly just 
so I wasn't ordering out all of the time, um, but then also realized that it is a a task that takes the time and energy and attention so that unless you're burning things, you're probably not able to check email and be responding to Slack messages and doing all that stuff at the same time. Um, So it was a way to be engaged and kind of work different parts of my brain and have to disconnect for an hour. Um, And then also I started playing Animal Crossing. Like (laughs) I, I fought that game for so long. I was like, I don't have a switch. This is silly. I'm not going to do this thing. Um, And then kind of mid December, I was like, Oh, I have a lot of friends who are actually really connected on this and it seems like it might be a fun, colorful way to get into it. Um, I kind of hate it because it's capitalism, the video game with cute animals. <laughs> You're right. It is. You <laughs> <laughs> start out with this land and then they're like, Oh, here you get to set up this whole Island. Right. Oh, but now we're going to charge you for it. Yep. Like we didn't tell you that beforehand. And, but your, and your whole motivation for doing things is all just making bells, which is the currency. If you don't know in animal crossing and like making your house bigger, I, I guess though, you know, with Animal Crossing, because uh, so I'm also a huge fan of Animal Crossing. And I have to first ask, you know, you said you didn't have a switch. You clearly got one. How, did you did it? Was it like booking a vaccine where you had to like because I went through a process to get my switch in June. I uh, cheated a little bit and I asked for one for Christmas just to feel fully like a child, apparently. Mm. Um, yeah, I asked for one for Christmas for my parents and sort of sent them links of like, here, you can buy this here right now online. Mm. Um, so my mom was able to find one. Oh, that's really good. I I think I in June I had like a whole like alert system set up that my brother in law helped me put together and like it's yeah. and like it, it was like a bunch of like add it to the cart. It's not in the cart. Add it to the cart. Ah, and and I held off on Animal Crossing. The first game I got I think was Mario Odyssey or something like that. But I held off on it. It's, it's similar to you. It's like I don't know. This seems kind of silly. I had played the old DS version. Um, and then at some point I was like, you know what, like this life right now is pretty intense and this game seems like it's chill (laughs) like it seems like it is just gonna be chill and it was like i remember the first time i signed on or the first real time that i really had a long session of playing it was like around sunset and the game the weather and the way the sun is like work with your environment and so i was uh you know, it was like sunset and I was fishing and I just thought, man, this is, this is fantastic. And every time I would build something, everyone would clap for me. (laughs) Whereas like some of my colleagues in, in like the, the real world, so to speak, um, were like, you know, everybody was very, I felt at that point, very touchy. Everybody was was easy to set off, including me. So it's just this, like this make believe community of people, of people, animals, right? (laughs) But it's, it's funny that you said it's like, it's like you could play the capitalism game in Animal Crossing. But also there are like these, these like little relationships that you build with the characters. They're like these are like computer generated characters, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you get those. And then also I think what really sold it for me was uh I started like I posted a screenshot or something because the photographer side of it, and like you said, the mm. uh the game is great with it. It shows you the weather and it gives you these sunsets. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but actually it matches the phase of the moon uh at night. I, you know, I knew that, but I hadn't actually paid attention to it. Yeah. Because yeah. when it's a full I'm, moon, it's full. Yeah. I'm that nerd. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I was posting screenshots because I was, you know, taking pretty pictures in my fake world. And uh, a friend of mine was like, oh, wait, are you playing Animal Crossing? You should get involved in this Facebook group with a bunch of people that you know. And then like, someone was like, hey, do you want to come hang out on my island? And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I'm coming <laughs> over for a sleepover? Like, I don't get it. Um and it was literally just like, take a little plane and then you go to their island and our little characters ran around together and we were talking on Zoom the whole time. And like, 
I was like, can we take selfies? And so we started taking selfies with our characters in like the fake house. And it yeah. was. Oh, you mean that little <laughs> island place where you can go and like take. You, you, there's somewhere where you can fly and take pictures. Am I making this I up? have been unimpressed with that so far. Me too. Um, yeah. I have a, a weird stoner dog that runs it or something. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I went there once and I was like, but I could do this on my island. Why would I come here for this? But exactly. Um, and a bunch of my friends are uh, wicked burner overachievers. And so <laughs> the islands are gorgeous well i was gonna say like that the the, like being able to go to other people's islands it's a great social activity i mean as long as you can be on zoom or something because it's hard to communicate otherwise but also you get to see the the artwork and the creation of your friends which you know for some of us like you know you and i post art publicly so a lot of our friends get to see our art but for some friends who don't do that this is like the one opportunity to be like if you had to design an island what would it look like beautiful (laughs) Absolutely. That and like you can crossbreed the flowers to get different things and then like the color patterns people put up and just it's amazing. And no no two islands I've been to look the same yet. Yeah. Like everyone has something drastically different. It's incredible. Have you done the the dreaming where you can you fall asleep and you go on a little adventure? <laughs> Only a little bit. Those are just for inspiration, right? Like you can't really do anything in it aside yeah. from check it out. Yeah, the first one I I found that out the hard way because the first one I went to, there were like money trees everywhere, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I've hit the jackpot. But yeah, you don't keep anything. But they are <laughs> actual. I think they are actual islands of people in like a save state almost. So people ah. upload there. So like I uploaded mine. So for all I know, someone could have been going through my island in a dream, and I wouldn't even wouldn't even know it I, I at one point i recorded a podcast just a solo podcast about how amazing i found animal crossing and the fact that like just having control over things the fact that you could also watch things grow um that everything was a celebration even the smallest things like and there, there was a time at the start of this and toward the winter where it was just like that was so needed you know yeah the celebration and having small achievable tasks yeah. When everything felt like it was so much or it felt like all of my dishes are in the sink, how am I going to get these into the dishwasher? Or, yeah. um, you know, the world is on fire. How do we stop that? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And those are the challenges being like, oh, I just have to catch 10 butterflies. Great. I can do that. Did you find yourself uh, with your daily tasks feeling like you were in Animal Crossing doing some sort of task? I felt like after like the dishes were like, oh, like, I don't want to do the dishes, but if I think of it like an Animal Crossing task, it becomes more fun all of a sudden, <laughs> even though Tom Nook won't be there to applaud for me when I'm finished. <laughs> I never got quite that far. Uh, I've always been a person who I love to do lists and I switch between like digital and paper ones, but I will definitely add things like laundry, dishes, change bed sheets, whatever to my list so I can still check it off. Yeah. Like that's really satisfying to me. Well, I'd love to talk about that if that's something you're interested in discussing, because I'm uh, a to-do list and, you know, a productivity, for lack of a better term, nerd. Uh, awesome. And uh, so how has that changed for you over the course of the last year or just in general? Yeah, um, my I think the tools that I use have switched a lot. I used to be a big like paper bullet journal person mm-hmm. um, and then through working um, in nonprofits and working with teams and having to coordinate with people across, you know, time zones and continents and everything. Um, Got really into Asana. And so started using that for work stuff and then started using it for personal stuff and then like bounced over to something else because they didn't want to pay for Asana and then came back to it because the, uh, I'm a sucker for cute animation is what I've discovered in this podcast so far. Um, (laughs) So anyone who's used Asana, 
is familiar. And if you're not, uh, there's a thing called extra delight that you can turn on. And so like when you achieve certain tasks, you'll get cute animals that shoot across your screen with a rainbow and it's like a narwhal or a unicorn or something. Um, oh, wow. I love Microsoft <laughs> yeah. totally stole that for teams. I just realized I've never used Asana, but Microsoft steals everything. Uh, and, and I use teams and they have those little animations, but anyway, so you, so Asana, just for those who don't know, it's, it's a group, it's, it's, it's a task manager that's, that's targeted at teams, right? Is that correct? Okay, cool. So anyway, so go on, you were saying, yeah, no, yeah, that's, um, just the, the cute animals and then that kind of task management, because for me, I'm very much the person who has 15 ideas of things I need to get done in the next three months. And then, you know, 25 new things that come up of, Oh, you have to do this today. And so if I don't write them down, I start losing everything. And then kind of those longer term things will be on a piece of paper. That's like somewhere in a corner. Um, so trying to figure out kind of the right balance has been a challenge, but. So how, so have you found a a place for paper-based journaling, uh, to-do list sort of thing? Have you found that to be, um, useful in, in conjunction with the digital stuff, or do you kind of go one or the other? Um, I journal like writing down thoughts, ideas, et cetera, on paper. Um, I've been doing that since I was about 12. Mm-hmm. So about 22 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a pretty solid practice for me. Um, the bullet journal part, I haven't done as much. And part of that is because pre pandemic, everything was either personal or photo. Those were the two things that I did. Yeah. Um, and now it's sort of, okay, there's personal and then there's photo and then there's the work that I'm doing for nation of makers. And then there's the volunteer stuff for helpful engineering. And then I've got this side project for uh, rediscovering our American dream. And then maybe I'm doing those other things. So it's kind of, it's kind of become a bit more different pieces. And so having the digital aspect to be able to kind of create different buckets and then make the, this is my week with all these different buckets kind of as they apply. Um, I'm trying to just figure out how to describe what I've actually set up in there. But yeah, so I just have all these different projects and then can feed them into kind of one main one to be able to see cross different projects, what it is I have to actually do. Well, that's, that's the beauty of the digital system I find is like, I, I know like putting my hand to the paper. Um, I think it's Julia Morgan who wrote the artist's way and her whole thing mm-hmm. is like pen to the paper, like don't do you know she has this thing called morning pages where you write three full you know this one three full yep. long form and it's you shouldn't type it she says because hand to the paper is this primal thing and it really like connects to your brain etc cetera, etc cetera. um and i i think that's probably true for morning pages but for organizing my thoughts on a day-to-day basis it's so nice to f- be able to filter because my brain doesn't do a great job of filtering. Everything is sort of this one giant thing. Um, and I've been using, I've made, this is my last podcast podcast episode was about this, um, but I've been using this amazing app called Obsidian. Do you know about this? I oh, don't. Man. I mean, I don't want to like be like, here's another tool. <laughs> here's another yeah. app you should try. But it's like, it's all text uh, files. And, but it, but it's this like interface on top of these text files and I don't even know how to put it, but it's like you can link notes together and it's and there's all these plugins that the community has made and it is wild. It's not even version one yet. It's like version 0.1. Um, but anyway, it's it's worth checking out. But that, I guess, is another time. So you said that before the pandemic, everything was personal or photo. And now, like, there are all these different buckets. Um, you know, I experience this, too, with a lot of what I do. I have a hard time niching, uh, as they say. <laughs> I have a hard time being like, I'm this or I'm that. I... I, I've over the years tried to boil down like how I explain how I exist in the world to people. And it's very challenging. Um, 
do you find a common thread among all the things that you're doing? Is there kind of a central theme to it? I think community is probably the big overarching theme for me. Um, I definitely hear you about the, everyone tells you to find your niche and to find the thing that you fit into. And that was a big thing in photography world of people like you are a wedding photographer. And if you do family photos, you should have a separate Instagram account for it and possibly a separate website for it. And like, never the twain shall meet. Is that the right side? Anyways, um, it's like you'll you'll have everything separately because people don't want to see the thing that they're not coming to you for. They want to see only what they're directing. And one, that sounded like a lot of work to me. And two, that didn't make sense to me because people who I photographed um, at burlesque shows hired me for their weddings and then years later would hire me for their family photos and then would send me to their boss to do their company portraits or that kind of thing. And so I think for me, the threads really are who I'm working with as more so than necessarily the work I'm doing itself. Yeah. Um, which is, which is a niche, right? I would say. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Um, well, I, I remember <laughs> when I first met you, I was playing a show at Zoe Ravenwood's house. Um, and I remember that, um, I remember before you, you got there, she was like, my, my friend Devin is amazing. She's going to take some photos of you tonight. I hope that's okay. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And they were amazing. And I was like, oh, thank God. Um, but um, I even in those photos, like when I look back on that concert, you know, the the way that you captured like the entire room, like not just the performers, because you did a good job at that, but like the the feel that was there that night, because that was a very special show. I remember that so well. Um, but it's so nice that there are visual memories of of that night and the the warmth that was sort of in the room. And I would imagine that that's, I haven't seen all of your photo sets, but I imagine that that's the feeling you get from a good wedding set or even a burlesque show or family or whatever it is that you end up doing. Thanks. Yeah, no, I, I think that you can use photography to capture directly the thing that the event is about. You can capture the couple, you can capture the performer, you can capture the one thing, or you can take that broader lens. You can tell more of a story. You can give that feeling of this is a house party. This is an event that has people who are cuddling on a couch. This has, you know, someone sitting on the floor stretching. This has like all these different things. Um, and I think that for weddings, that's what I really love capturing. I love getting gorgeous portraits. I love getting, you know, the emotional ceremony, but then also like the kids playing hide and seek under a table while the couple's playing, doing a first dance or like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah I love that. Me, <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that photos are a way to kind of come back to the memories that you had from an event. You walk in, how do you become inspired uh, to get behind the lens and actually start working? Is it like you just like just start taking pictures and just see what forms or are you, or do you get like a impression of the place? How does it work? I think, I think for me, a lot of how I experience the world comes from how I see it. And so there's a very natural way to transfer that to photography um, since it's, you know, visual image. Right. Um, And so I, I certainly do kind of figure out what the impression is and like what, what it is that's going on and what the story to tell is, but I'm also taking pictures while I'm doing that. Um, I do know photographers, mainly fine art photographers who will, go to a location multiple times without a camera just to get a sense of it, to figure out what it is. Um, I, I get that sense by taking the pictures, I think. Um, so my pictures from the beginning of the day are almost never going to be as good as they are at the end of the day, just because I have a different idea of what's happening and people are still getting used to me being around. 
Um, it's sort of like the first time you go over to a friend's house and they have a dog and the dog is kind of like, Hey, like you're cool, but I don't really, really know yet. Um, and then kind of you get more comfortable and they get used to it and they're like, Oh yeah, you're my friend. Like, that's cool. You want to come over, hang out here? Like, here's where I have all the good stuff. Like, let's hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like there, there must be a, a, a skill that photographers need to learn where like you almost have to be invisible and visible at the same time. How do you achieve that? Well, I have bright blue hair right now, so that helps on the visit. But it is, and it's, I, it's so interesting to figure out how to phrase how that happens because so much of it has been, um, not necessarily unintentional, but it was something that I started doing without as much conscious thought, and people would tell me that you know, I was a quote unquote photo ninja. Um, and just being able to kind of be everywhere and being unobtrusive while also being 5'10 with blue hair or pink hair or green hair or whatever it is at the time. Um, but I think it's something to just being a part of the event and for me at least, um, really being there almost like an attendee as opposed to the photographer, except for the Mm -hmm. points where I need to be, you know, yelling for family photos and saying, I need this person and this person and these three people can go. And that, well, that is really fascinating. And now that we're, you know, we're on the road, I guess, to some sense of, I hesitate to use the word normalcy because nothing is normal and nothing feels normal anymore. And even when we go back to, you know, being able to like go to bars and movies and that sort of thing and concerts and, and weddings and all of that, um, I still think there's going to be this this imprint that this time has left on us. There's a, a great essayist named Tim Kreider. I don't know if you know his stuff, um, but he has an essay. He was, uh, I guess, stabbed in the throat. It's like, I'm going all, okay. I'm going to all sorts of really grotesque places today, I know. But um, he was stabbed in the throat, and then he, he recovered. Like I guess it was like one inch away from like totally killing him. And he recovered, and he... Uh, for, he said, like, after that, he didn't care about he was happy all the time. He didn't care if someone cut him off in traffic. He didn't care if someone was rude to him. Everything was just like, it doesn't matter. I'm alive. Like, it's just great to be alive. It's like, great. But then a year after this, he said it started to wear off. <laughs> it's like, I wonder, like, what our memory like we, you know, right now, it feels like we're never going to forget what this was like. But I know, like, habits change so easily sometimes when circumstances change so how do you see uh, the the prog the the next year i mean you're someone with this very visual eye and someone who can see communities and understand people how do you see the next year shaping up i think the the idea that we'll never forget this i think we're already forgetting it and i think a lot of us have realized that like i i've been thinking back a lot to you know, what it was last year. And we're all getting the the Facebook reminders of this time last year. Um, and just that, that headspace of I'm ordering groceries because I'm not sure if I want to go into a grocery store, let alone like what will actually be available. Or like I, (laughs) I ordered uh, a box of Oreos on Amazon. And when I say a box, I mean a box of 12 packs of Oreos. (laughs) I've done that. I've done that with goldfish. (laughs) Great. You you have small children who are there to help you with that. I feel like as he an didn't individual, need fish. It was just me. <laughs> it was just me every day, like a handful after a handful. But anyway, sorry. No. Yeah, no, yeah. But it was just that 
I can't find this. And so this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to get it in bulk because apparently that's where we're going to be. I think I still have like three different things of um, like countertop sanitizer under my sink. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> we all yeah, stocked up we, on the minute it was on Amazon because we thought, oh, we have to get this right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it just, it became such a headspace. And uh, when everyone earlier this year, sort of February-ish, was getting really excited about vaccines, uh, that was reminding me of the toilet paper kind of mm-hmm. craze that we had last year of everyone like, I'm never going to get it. I have to search for it to try and find it because otherwise it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the spaces I was in, were talking about vaccines and we're figuring out different um, community responses and how to build that up. And like, it's just going to be the same thing. We're going to be at that point where it's scarcity and everyone wants it and no one can get it. And then we're going to hit kind of this middle ground equilibrium where more people are going to start to get it. And, you know, I think within the next month or two, we're going to be at a point where we have more vaccine than we have people who want to get it. Yeah, that that definitely feels that way. I felt like that as someone that's been booking, like when I started doing this in like February, um, and for those listening who haven't heard it, I have a whole podcast episode about my experience with hunting, at least early on. It, It kind of shifted, honestly, my experience with it, because the more people did it, um, it started to become more about the people doing it rather than the people they were booking for. Um, not to slander anybody who does this sort of thing because, you know, it, it is really important. Um, but just like watching the, the, the Facebook groups and all, like it started, it started shifting like the, the, so, but my, my point being that, um, from this perspective, a couple months ago, um, it was hard to, it was hard to book an appointment. And I would tell people who would reach out to me like, oh, that's a loud piece of thunder piece of thunder that's what we call it these days um i started telling people who'd reach out to me like okay it'll it'll probably be like 24 to 48 hours i'll get back to you i'll let you know if i don't find anything etc and then usually something would happen and i'd get them booked whereas now it's like the other day someone messaged me and i within five minutes had two different appointments they could have picked um so it it just it does seem like the tide is turning there's still there's still people that are hunting for other people but it's um, if you have a little bit of wherewithal, you can go out there and, and search for things and with a little bit of refreshing and clicking, end up finding something among the many pharmacies and hospitals and mass vac sites that are out there. So it does feel like the tide is shifting. Yeah. And I think that having the vaccine hunters is still important for that because you do have people who either, um, you know, tend to be older and have more challenges navigating the websites or you know, for whatever reason, don't have the time, don't have the ability, don't have the energy um, Mm -hmm. to be able to do it. Because like you're saying, it is easier, but it's still sort of, okay, I went to this website and I clicked this, but now I have to try a different zip code maybe, or like this other website. And then I have to schedule three weeks in advance and I don't know my work schedule. So maybe I should try and find J&J. Right. Which is a whole other thing. Cause it's like that there's less J&J available and it's like, you know, but for some people like that's really clutch is to like be able to not have to take off work twice or find a way to do it. And like when I book for people, I always tell them like, I'm going to click on the very first thing that's available. Otherwise, like I can't, I can't spend a ton of time because then it would take like a week for me to find the exact thing that people want. So usually when I book for people, it's like, you have to kind of be ready to just jump like tomorrow, which for some people they can't do so that it, you know, there's the, the one thing that's been so frustrating about all of this is despite the fact that so many people can, are there to help now, there's so many people that, that are helping there's still equity issues. There's still this, like, you know, if you don't have access to technology or, or access to public transportation or time off of work, like it's just, 
there's no way to make it totally fair. And that's, um, I, I, for some reason I thought going into this, like, we'll do it, we'll make it equitable, we'll make it fair, but it's still, it's always going to be a struggle, unfortunately for now until it's widely available. And then maybe not so much. Well, I think that that's, that's one of the keys to remember too, as we have so many people saying they want to go back to normal or even the Biden slogan of build back better. It's like, Oh, we don't, back is not good for everyone. Back is not good for a lot of people. Normal in 2019 was not great for a lot of folks still too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want to, we don't want to forget everything that happened in 2020 and the power of the social justice movements that happened. Um, and so I think it's, I don't think it's how do we go back to normal? It's how do we build a new normal? Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what lessons can we take? What lessons do we want to include from what we've learned? Um, I never want to go back to having every day of my calendar completely booked so that everything mm-hmm. is scheduled and I don't have free time or like flexibility. Yeah. Um, I think it was the end of March last year. I reached out to someone was like, Hey, do you want to watch a movie over zoom tonight? And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. How about like in an hour? It's like, this is amazing that we're adults <laughs> who can get together with an hour of notice. Like right, right. there are so few people I knew who in 2019 would be like, yeah, I can meet you in a bar in an hour. Yeah. Um, Cause everyone is scheduling and everyone is scheduling like two weeks in advance to see their friends. And yeah. For sure. That's stressful too. Like that's its own. I don't need a social uh, secretary to manage that. I want to just be able to like go see the people I want to see. It is. It um, is nice leaving leaving the space in your schedule for um, spontaneous spontaneity to occur. I feel like is is something that I definitely would like to take into the next. Because I'm I am someone who like schedules every minute of my day. But I've started doing the thing where I like schedule. There's there's a block where it's like this is leisure time or this is time where I'm not going to be doing anything. And should something spontaneously come up, I'm there to receive it. You know? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Um, for me, it's kind of been getting to, you know, that seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock at night and being like, Oh, I could go do these other three things that I wanted to get done today. Or I could accept that it's eight o'clock at night and I can stop working on things now that's right. allowed. I can do these tomorrow. <laughs> Did you watch the, um, there was a video that came out early in the pandemic, uh, by a guy named CB, CGP Gray. I don't know if you know, uh, his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called Spaceship U and it was all about like the, your workspace and now how it's your living space and it's your eating space. And he made a lot of points about like, you know, how to do this. Cause he'd been, he'd been a work from Homer for a long time as a, a YouTuber. Um, but one of the main points that I took away from it was like the different spaces in your home should be for specific activities. And if you mix like where you sleep with where you eat with where you work, it's not to say it can't work. There are certainly people that probably do it just fine. Um, but I, when I, when I heard that, I was like, Oh man, that is true. Like I eat while I'm working. I like work in bed, you know, <laughs> I'll sleep in and work till 10 from my phone. So it's like that, 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 that's the sort of thing where I realize now, like when we go back to different physical spaces, um, that, It'll be interesting to see how how challenging it is, how habitually I return to this, like everything is in one place and one under one roof sort of thing. Um, is there anything else that you feel uh, we'll, we'll, we'll walk away from from this experience uh, and keep keep with us or, or that we should? I think the purposeful connection you don't bump into people on the street in a pandemic the same way you don't see them at an event. You don't happen across them in the hallway at work. 
And so it has been a lot of very conscious, I'm sending a message to someone because I want to talk to them, or I am calling a friend, like using my phone as a phone. That is a thing you can do on occasion. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, without, uh, without having to see their face, you can just call them and hear their voice. (laughs) And that's been great because there's so many times where I'm just like, I don't want to have to sit upright. I don't want to have to think about what I'm like looking like or what my face is doing. I don't want any of that. Can we just talk on the phone? And be like, yes, that sounds great. It kind of reminds me of like being in eighth grade. And like, I remember like calling people on a landline and like the the connection is like crystal clear. There's no drops. It feels like you're on a tin can. Um, There's something interesting that, you know, in my coaching training that people you would talk about is, you know, now that we're virtual and we're not doing in-person, in-person coaching anymore, um, you know, should we do it via video conference or should we do it via phone? Like what's better is it, it's better to see them. Right. And one of the experienced coaches were, were saying that I like to do it on the phone because I get a lot of information from people's vocal tone that sometimes gets like, like if I hear trembling in someone's voice, some people are really good at like keeping their face straight while they're doing that. And that can throw you off as a coach. Cause you're trying to read emotional, you know, signals. Um, so I think about that in terms of social connection too. It's like, I wonder what would happen if we were sort of like, we didn't have that visual medium and we were just talking on the phone and would it, would it allow us to emotionally connect better? I don't know. It's something to explore. Yeah. I think it's, there's pros and cons for both sides. Like I have, I have no poker face to the point where I learned last year that if there were meetings I was going into and I was expecting that something was probably going to either like make me mad or I was going to think was stupid, I would just go in video off. Cause I'm like, I will not be able to fake it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will not be able to fake the like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's no amount really- of like Hogwarts backgrounds is going to cover. <laughs> no, no amount of it. Um, so I think that, I like having the visual component. I like being able to see people yeah. um, while talking, but you're totally right that the voice is a completely different aspect of it and that you yeah. do hear those tones and inflections. Yeah. I, I have yet to really experiment with that, but I heard that and I was like, huh, that's a really good mm-hmm. point. And I'm a very audio sound based person. So it kind of appealed to me to hear that. So if you wrapping up here, like, and I know we've been on for about an hour here, but um, if you had one wish for, the world, for the country, for any community, whoever might be going forward, what would that be? It's a big wish. Um, <laughs> you can make that as small or as big as you want. I, I, was try- <laughs> I, was, I immediately was, I said, like the world, I was like, I don't want to make it that big. It could be as small as like, you know, your, your house. I don't know. <laughs> well, I feel like this is actually turned about as fair play because I, I started dating someone about a month ago and the thing that actually made me interested in them was we were messaging and like I had to go and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to give you a question. So when I come back, I have something to read. And I asked them if you could make one big change in the world, what would it be? And their answer was prison reform with like a bulleted response as to why and like what aspects and how it was going to go. And I was like, damn, that was good. Like, okay. I had that one. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. They're, they're pre-law and actually writing a paper on it, which is why they had that one. There you go. But, um, If I could leave one thing for... You've got a PowerPoint, I imagine, for me on this. Yeah, on this right. <laughs> I'm sending you Google Slides after this. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think it is intentional community and remembering having to build that in the last year and keeping those lessons to go through um, as we move forward, um, whether that is makers across the country coming together, across the world coming together to, you know, respond to PPE shortages or whether that is 
having Zoom parties with your college friends that you haven't seen in 15 years because you're all in four time zones or, um, you know, calling your mom every week. Like those kind of things I think are not the biggest world changing pieces, not the things that are going to make your day-to-day life better every moment, um, though certainly to some degree. Um, But I think that really remembering what it was to have to build that on purpose and how we did that and keeping those connections up, I think is going to be a really interesting and valuable lesson to learn from last year. Mm. I love that intentional community, because when you think about it, like when we used to be randomly in places with other people and yeah, we'd be social with them, but there's a lot of friendships that I feel like I had that were just a matter of habit that, that there wasn't necessarily substance, at least, you know, th- there wasn't at that particular point, there may have been in the past that we're continuing and just kind of, you know, because, because of, of habit or where the places we used to hang out. And now it's like, you can be very intentional and certain friendships that I, that I, where I didn't see people that much before have now blossomed over the last year. And really like I realized are really important to me. And there are certain ones that have sort of fallen off the radar. And of course that'll like change and shift over time, but perhaps the lens through which we see it is, is now forever altered. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Devin, thanks a lot. I don't want to keep you any longer because I know it's been a full hour here and it's been great talking to you. And um, is there any last thing you want to say, a place where people can find you, your work or anything? Yeah. uh, My website is devinroland.com. I am on Instagram, Devin Roland Photography. Uh, Facebook is Devin Roland Photography as well. Um, If you're feeling bold and adventurous, you can find my personal Facebook and check out Bad Advice Mondays, which are a dumb thing I started doing from a meme like three years ago, (laughs) where on Mondays I give out bad advice. Um, uh, man, if we had more time, I'd talk about all, all the bad advice you've given and what you've learned from that. But that's for next podcast. <laughs> so. Hey there, thanks for sticking around till the end of the podcast. This is Zia Hassan, and this is my weekly podcast, Gently Down the Stream. If you don't know me, I am an educator, a trainer, and a coach. And this podcast and my coaching practice are for people who want to change their lives. This podcast is meant for teaching and for learning and for inspiration. But if you want to spend some time with me and focus on you and the wisdom that you have, you can book a coaching session with me at ziahassan.coach. And together we can figure out what your core values are, which is something that most people have not considered, have not actually dug into. Most people don't know what their core values are, or if they think they know them, they are sometimes wrong. We can navigate a dilemma in your life and figure out the next best step for you to take. And through small changes, you can have a big transformation. My podcast is all about what I value and stand for. But when you coach with me, we figure out what you value, what you stand for, what you believe, and what actions are necessary for you to take to live a life that is meaningful to you, to connect to the things that you want to connect with and say no to everything else. So if you're interested in booking a session with me, check out ziahassan.coach, and I will see you next Tuesday.